1: Welcome to The World in 10 with Rebecca Myers and me, Toby Gillis, on a day when Israel's attacks on Hamas in Gaza have scaled new heights.
0: We'll look at how the move has impacted getting aid in and whether it's risked Israel's relationship with Western leaders.
1: This is only the beginning and Hamas is doomed Those are the words of the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as Israeli tanks entered Gaza last night. It was the biggest move since the start of the current conflict with Hamas.
0: So why now? Well, the Israeli Defence Force says it was part of preparations for the next stages of combat with a ground invasion on the way. We're still not sure when that will be.
1: And it's maybe particularly surprising, given there was pressure from the United States to hold off, at least until air defences had been deployed across the Middle East to protect American troops. That is clearly being ignored.
0: Yes, and none of this is really doing anyone any good. The former Israeli peace negotiator Daniel Levy explains why, as he calls for de-escalation.
1: It thinks it can get away with it because it has the backing of the United States of America. It has the backing of many European countries. And I would argue not only is that the wrong policy and politics for the US and those countries to be taking, I would also argue that it sends the wrong message to Israel. It encourages Israel to do things which are terribly self-defeating because for every enemy it's killing right now, it is creating more and more and more enemies. I also think it doesn't help the standing of the UK, the US and others who've taken that position in the world.
0: So if you're embarrassing your allies on an international stage or while ignoring their calls for more time, well, surely that damages your relationships.
1: Well, the Times' correspondent Alistair Dauber has been writing about this very thing, particularly with regards to Israel and the US. Is there a rift building? Alistair reckons it's only in public that they look so close. Behind the scenes... He's less convinced. First of all, Benjamin Netanyahu's war cabinet wants to progress and, and, and move into Gaza quite quickly. Uh, the Americans have reservations uh, about that for several reasons. First of all, they're worried about hostages, um, some of whom are, are Americans. Uh, they're worried about aid getting into Gaza uh, and, and the condition for ordinary uh, Palestinians living there. They're also worried in a wider sense about American troops in the region. There are lots of American forces based in the Middle East. In, Jordan in uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia in Kuwait. Uh, and they fear that a, a quick invasion of Gaza could lead to the conflict spreading. It could involve countries like Iran, groups like Hezbollah in, in, in Lebanon. And they're worried that American troops and American bases become targets.
0: Another question that's cropped up over Israel's actions today is how does it affect aid getting into Gaza? Well, phrases like a war of revenge have been used to describe the offensive. The Palestinian Authority's foreign minister, Riyad al-Maliki, said a ceasefire was a top priority so aid could get to those most in need. Just 12 trucks have made it in today.
1: But That does feel unlikely, that idea of a ceasefire, given the Israeli military has also revealed that there are more hostages being held by Hamas than previously thought. That number, it's now up to 224. Coming up on today's World in 10, a major racism row at Rugby's World Cup and possibly the longest name you've ever heard but first, Rebecca...
0: Yes, in the UK today, artificial intelligence is making headlines again. The Prime Minister gave a speech on Thursday outlining the concerns and revealing he's invited China to a summit being hosted here next week.
1: Yeah, they're not coming. No, it seems
0: not. <laughs> and so the usual concerns are kind of springing to life once more. But inside one person, one lone voice in the new UK building has hope yeah. and it's not just anyone it's science editor tom whipple a great friend of the podcast <laughs>
1: and
0: he's written an opinion piece espousing the sort of five areas where ai will save humanity and in some cases already is
1: yeah so he's written specifically about the worlds of healthcare, driving translation and education uh, and i think that the fifth one is cheating i'll be honest <laughs> it's entitled everything <laughs> uh, <laughs> positively he says as with all powerful technologies the potential of ai to do bad is simply the flip side of its potential to do good so that's a relief isn't it with a 50 50 chance of surviving the ai yeah. apocalypse <laughs> But while
0: toby is, is back and forth on whether the odds are good or bad we should probably hear from tom himself who told toby why doctors in particular need not be scared of ai's rise
1: as a gp you're meant to be across ten thousand human diseases and all of the research that is currently going on into them. And obviously you're not. Everyone worries about AI taking our job. Yeah, the problem with healthcare is not that there isn't enough work to do. The one that I thought was really fascinating was, was in education. And the phrase you use, imagine everyone had their own tutor who could respond perfectly to their level of learning with perfect patience. You know, that that is absolutely what AI advocates hope will happen. If you have these things and they can use all sorts of different approaches and they can see how well you're doing and they can maybe even you know, swap tips between AI tutors, at least this is the idea that the teacher becomes more of a facilitator and it's the AI taking kids on their, their learning journey.
0: And you can read the detail in Tom's Positive AI piece now with a digital subscription at thetimes.co.uk. Imagine a sport is two days away from its biggest match, one held only once every four years. And yet it's being overshadowed by a racism row that has three of the biggest governing bodies at loggerheads. That is the situation for rugby right now.
1: Yeah, the World Cup final is on Saturday, defending champion South Africa against New Zealand. But all of the talk in the build-up has been of the semi-final, where South Africa beat England, during which an England player, Tom Curry, told the mic'd-up ref that he'd been racially abused by Bongi and Bonambi. (laughs) If that hooker calls me a white f***, <laughs> what do I do? Nothing, please.
0: So, dismissed at the time, but a swift investigation has taken place now. And today, World Governing Body World Rugby has cleared Mbanambi to play in the final, closing the case because it says there's insufficient evidence to do anything else.
1: Cue the RFU, England's governing body, issuing a furious response, saying the decision not to put the evidence before an independent disciplinary panel has denied the disciplinary process the opportunity to hear Tom Curry's voice and to independently assess assess his account of those serious events together with the other available evidence.
0: For his part, Mbanambi has denied it, with his governing body SA Rugby saying it has absolute faith in the honesty and integrity of Bongi.
1: Rebecca, a new story now in more ways than one, because a few years ago, my fiancé Claire bought me two copies of the same Sherlock Holmes book for Christmas.
0: That is literally insane.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm passing no judgment. Um, She does listen to this. But it's fair to say, only one ever got read. And though I've still got both, I kind of suspect it's inevitable that one will probably end up in a charity shop.
0: I imagine so. But, I mean, let's hope they don't have too many copies already because it's fair to say there is one book that is donated so frequently now, apparently, that charity shops are actually having to ban donations (laughs) of it, which is Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code.
1: Yes, it seems we've fallen out of love with it to that extent. Although for one artist, well, he's been collecting them. 6,000 of them, to be precise. Not because he loves it, but, well, because he wants to pulp them.
0: It sounds more brutal than it is, it we does, should yeah. say. <laughs> um so David Trigley discovered that this was an issue charity shops were having with the Da Vinci code and he decided to turn them into something else. A thousand two hundred and fifty copies. Of Orwell's 1984.
1: So you can buy one of these bougie books from Saturday, a mere £495 it'll cost you, uh, with some of that is going to charity it should be said, but my favourite bit of this story, you buy 6,000 copies of the same book and then when a journalist asks you if you at least enjoyed it before pulping the lot, well Shrigley's never actually read it. <laughs> Incredible. We end today's pod in Spain, and a story I both love, and you'll find out why in a minute, I'm also dreading.
0: Yes, this is a tale of royal excess. Not the usual royal scandals over the centuries, like power, land, extramarital affairs, or materialism, parties, you know, food and drink. Hmm. But this is an excess of names, because the Duke and Duchess of Alba have been told that their chosen name for the youngest child is too long. And, drumroll please, Toby, go Uh. on.
1: Sofia Fernanda, Dolores, Cayetana, Teresa, Angela de la Cruz, Michaela del Santissimo, Sacramento del Perpetuo, Socorro de la Santissima, Trinidad... Ida de todos los santos
0: wow, I really think <laughs> I need to a solo round of applause here in the studio very catchy um, but literally illegal in Spain even yeah. if it does honour the recently deceased matriarch of the family. Yeah
1: we don't know what they'll shorten it to but the law states it'll be a maximum of five what it calls simple names none of those are simple to me I'm off for a lie down.
0: A wise idea <laughs> we will see you tomorrow for another World in 10.